At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind, so you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. This podcast is based in large part of the book, Born Ready, The Mixed Legacy of Len Bice. Some quotes are narrated by Dave Ungrady, a podcast producer and the author of the book from interviews done for the book. Recordings for these comments were not available. Yeah. Up next in Len Bias, a mixed legacy. From tragedy to triumph, Maryland basketball after the death of Len Bias. Well, I mean, Maryland suffered a, an unspeakable trauma with Bias's death, and the reaction was swift and far-reaching. And it was a trauma that lasted for a long, long time. From the beginning, Bob Wade was the hire of Chancellor John Slaughter. He did not go, John Slaughter did not go through the usual channels to hire Bob Wade. Uh, we tried to make overtures to him and talk to him and to help him out. And he would come in, go to his office, and we just never saw him. I enjoy playing with my teammates, but as far as that game being fun, it wasn't. It, it, for, for, for me personally, whatever, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't fun. It, it, was, it was devastating. It really was. That's the only word I can use. You know, we're at the bottom of the pile and trying to look up and see how you 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 could not just pass six other really good teams, but to be competitive with Duke and North Carolina. I wanted to be a, a good player at home. I wanted my family and friends to see me. I wanted to show that um, I can't have the same impact as Lynn Bias. Some days he just come in there shaking his head. He says, I don't know where we're going to get this thing turned around. You know, this is such a mess. Gary Williams was probably one of the few people in the country who had the intestinal fortitude to endure the dark days of basketball and to bring Maryland's program out of that. Dixon fires it up to the top of the Georgia Dome roots and the kids have done it. Maryland wins their first ever national championship. You're just a part of the game, but if you shoot and you black, you are part of the blame. 
On the day Lefty Rizel became Maryland's head coach in 1969, he boasted that he would turn the Terps into the UCLA of the East. He didn't quite reach that lofty goal, but Rizel did revive a program that won its only ACC tournament title in 1958 and struggled through the 1960s. In the 1970s, Drizelle had one of the best teams in the country, but for most of the decade, only the conference tournament champion advanced to the NCAA tournament. The best he could do was lead Maryland to the NCAA tournament Elite Eight one time. Two and a half years later, some five months after Len Bias died, Drizelle was out as Maryland's coach. It was not by his own preference. No college basketball program in the country fell and rose again as dramatically as Maryland. It took Gary Williams five years to get Maryland back into the NCAA tournament. In 2001, Maryland played in their first Final Four, and the next year it won its only national championship. Jay Billis played against Bias for four years during his college career at Duke. Billis was an assistant coach for Duke in the early 1990s, and he's now a provocative basketball analyst for ESPN. Maryland suffered an unspeakable trauma with Bias's death, and the reaction was swift and far-reaching. A lot of people lost their careers uh, over that, uh, or at least had their careers derailed and sent in a completely different direction. And it was a trauma that lasted for a long, long time. You know, they were in a hole and they they started digging once they got in it. Bob Wade was introduced as Maryland's head coach on October 30th, 1986, one day after Lefty Drizel resigned. It was an historic day. Wade was the first black head coach hired by an Atlantic Coast Conference basketball program. It's something we've looked forward to all all of our lives. And anytime uh, a person loves to work with youngsters and loves to coach basketball, I think of no other uh, opportunity or, or none other opportunity could exist and to, uh, to be given the opportunity to coach on the next level at the University of Maryland. Wade left Dunbar High School in Baltimore where he was working as the school's football coach. He was also the school's basketball coach. That's what made him an attraction to Maryland. In his 10 years as Dunbar's basketball coach, Wade won three mythical national basketball championships. Players on those teams included Muggsy Bogues, Reggie Williams, and David Wingate, all future NBA players. His teams lost only 25 games in 10 years. Molly Glassman covered Wade at Dunbar as a high school reporter for the Baltimore Evening Sun. By the time Wade became Maryland's coach, she moved on to the Maryland Athletics beat. Glassman feels the hiring of Wade by Chancellor John Slaughter was motivated by a need for dramatic change in the program. One area of interest was the athletic department's fundraising group, the Terrapin Club. He really was trying to get away from that culture of having the Terrapin Club be supportive of things. Um, He wanted to create a a whole different atmosphere at at Maryland. And Bob Wade was his tool uh, to do that. 
John Slaughter did not go through the usual channels to hire Bob Wade. Um, I'm sure he didn't seek counsel from uh, the athletic department because the athletic department was crumbling. Slaughter claimed he did his due diligence in hiring Wade. He consulted such prominent coaches as Georgetown's John Thompson, North Carolina's Dean Smith, and North Carolina State's Jim Valvano. The coaches supported choosing Wade. Slaughter told me, to a person, they had nothing but quality things to say. Some had coached with him at summer camps. Valvano's and Bob's wife were close friends. It was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. Slaughter liked that Wade was considered a strict disciplinarian and made sure his players studied. Further, he liked that Wade had strong connections to Baltimore. Maryland struggled to recruit top talent from that city only a half hour from College Park. Sue Tyler was an assistant athletic director when Wade took over. She recalls Wade appeared to be reluctant to fit into what remained of that Maryland family. Well, first of all, I think it was a really tough situation for him to walk into. And I believe a few of my friends' coaching staff, uh, we tried to make overtures to him and talk to him and to help him out. And we just never saw him. He would come in, go to practice, do his thing, and then leave or go to his office. And he didn't come to any meetings. He had other people do um, all the other things that coaches have to do about you know, signing out money and signing out, getting things from the uh, equipment rooms and talking to equipment people. He did none of the day-to-day uh, -day things. He had other people do all of that, and he was pretty much strictly the coach. Wade was named coach two weeks after the traditional starting date for teams to practice. Slaughter decided to move back the opening game until early December. The challenges on the court were many. The team had six new players, only five players returned from the previous year. One was sophomore John Johnson. He struggled to adjust to Wade's style. It was just a chore. Mm. You know, it's, I enjoy playing with my teammates, but as far as that game being fun, it wasn't. It, it, for, for, for me personally, whatever, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't fun. You picked the wrong man to come in there, whatever, and at at a time when we need somebody that's a father figure. Derek Lewis had played for Wade before when Wade coached the McDonald's All American High School team. He was a junior that first year under Wade. I think anyone coming in with in that situation, with them bias is going to be in over their head as far as that situation. Now, as far as coaching, I mean, he he, he was he gave he was giving a team or nothing. Maryland finished the season nine and seventeen. That matched its previous worst record from the 1963-64 season, and for the first time since the 1940-41 season, Maryland failed to win a conference game. Molly Glassman was not surprised about the way that season ended. Yeah, I did talk to Wade, and um, I, as I recall, he was very certain of his ability to recruit at the college level. He knew the college recruiting game inside and out from from the high school's perspective.
the the on the court coaching was um, a big question mark. Wade's second season ended differently. Maryland finished six and eight in the conference, but eighteen and thirteen overall. The Terps lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Kentucky. It helped that Tony Massenburg and Keith Gatlin, both suspended during the prior season, rejoined the team. Gatlin finished the season with a 12.1 points per game average, the best of his career, and he was comfortable playing with Wade. Keith Gatlin told me, I didn't have a problem with him at all. Bob was good to me. He was in a tough situation. He could never do the things he wanted to do. When we played for Coach Brazell, we always got the gym whenever we wanted it. Whatever he said, we got. When Coach Wade came in, the women's team had more pool than he did. It was unfortunate. I never thought the university gave him a fair shot. Coach Wade didn't have a chance in hell to survive at Maryland. Wade's recruiting acumen that Glassman mentioned paid off in his second year. Brian Williams, a third-team Parade All-American, came in as a freshman. He averaged 12 points and six rebounds that year. Wade's third year started to fall apart well before Maryland started preseason practice. Due to graduation, transfers, a red shirt, and academic problems, eight players failed to return from the prior year. One transfer was Williams, who left for Arizona. He blamed communication problems in the program and said that he could not improve sufficiently under Wade. Williams later played eight seasons in the NBA and won a league title with the Bulls in 1997. Wade's third year was disastrous. Maryland endured a nine-game losing streak and won just one ACC game. It was their second-worst conference record in history. They finished 9-20 and overall. As a senior, Johnson had his best year, averaging some 15 points a game. Still, he almost quit the team. But me, I was done with it. I was, I was ready to pack it in. What you going to do to me? Revoke my scholarship? I'm, I'm already going to graduate. In the end, Johnson decided to finish out his career after talking with athletic director Lou Perkins. He told Johnson that quitting would set Maryland basketball back years. Wade admitted to breaking several NCAA rules, and he resigned in mid-May. Chuck Walsh was the team's media relations director at the time. He claims that several people within Maryland's athletic department told him that Wade began breaking NCAA violations his first day on the job. As Walsh saw it, Wade didn't intend to break the rules. He just didn't know enough about the rules to avoid violating them. Sue Tyler, an assistant athletic director at the time, was among those who tried to help him. We tried to help him out because the NCAA rules and regulations and are quite different than they are in high school and they're very complex and it's very difficult to navigate some of the things, even in the university. So we wanted to reach out to him and uh, he didn't seem to want to be, you know, wouldn't want to be helped. Or, wanna, or he didn't want to be around us. It, it's, he was kind of, um, he was besieged by the press. And anytime the press was around, they were almost chasing him to talk to him. So I, I think he felt pursued and besieged and pressured. 
So he had a tough spot, a really tough spot. Not that everyone would have been supportive. Bentley's restaurant has been in College Park since the late 1970s. Its founder and owner, John Brown, developed a strong friendship with Wade and his family. The team often dined at the restaurant. Brown recalled the time the Terrapin Club called a meeting for Maryland's coaches, but Wade was not invited. At the urging of Wade's wife, Brown the next day stopped by Wade's house to visit. A sobbing Wade asked Brown why he was not included. Brown replied he did not know, but he should have been. Brown told me it seemed to go more and more like that, him not doing what they wanted. Bob made it difficult. If you didn't know him, he could be aloof. It was a divide. They hung him out to dry when NCAA violations came up. Like bias, Wade's legacy at Maryland is mixed. His NCAA violations will be remembered for helping set back the basketball program for years. Wade called the group of men's basketball coaches in the conference an old boys network in a Charlotte Observer report. He added that his time in the ACC was difficult. Even John Slaughter, who hired Wade, ultimately questioned the wisdom of the move. In retrospect, it might have been an impossible situation for Bob, he told the Washington Post in January 1990. Bob followed a coaching legend. He was black. He was appointed by a black chancellor. He was from a high school. He's hired one day before practice begins, and the players had gone through hell after Leonard's death. Throwing Bob in the middle of that was like throwing a piece of raw meat to a pack of lions. You're going to get chewed up if you don't do things perfectly. I don't think Bob got the support he needed from many people. There were people within the athletic department as well as outside the department who did not want him to succeed. Wade resigned on May 12, 1989. He received a settlement that included $120,000 in cash over two years. Wade did not attend the press conference announcing his departure. He instead lay in a hospital bed, recovering from back surgery. Wade expressed his frustrations from three years at Maryland in a Boston Globe story in 1996. Here's what he said. If I had to do it again, I would insist on bringing in my own people. I wanted my own assistance, but I was told by the administration that they didn't have the money. I had to keep lefties guys, Ron Bradley and Oliver Purnell. One minute they are loyal to him, and the next day they have to be loyal to me. It just doesn't work that way. I never felt comfortable. I didn't trust them. He added, Lefty's office was close to mine. I'd tell guys to do something one way. Lefty would tell them something else. I heard he would ask the guys, what's he running? What's he running? It was tough being there after Len Bias. Wade departed Maryland with a 36-50 and record. In March 1990, the NCAA imposed sanctions that would greatly impact Wade's successor, Gary Williams. At, at that time, in 1989, um, you know, I was young in coaching, and uh, I, I just thought we, we could win. And, you know, kind of like a blanket thing where oh, it didn't matter if Len Bias died or whatever, we, we were going to win. Gary Williams came back to Maryland to coach its men's basketball team for only one reason. Although he had been gone for some two decades, it still pulled at his heartstrings. Here's an emotional Williams commenting at the press conference, introducing him 
as Maryland's coach. It's great to be here. It's great to see some old friends, and I'm looking forward to uh, making some new friends also. Uh, this is uh, certainly a big day. And uh, if you have any questions, I'd be glad to try to answer them uh, for you now. But I never thought I'd have the opportunity to come back and coach at Maryland because uh, you very rarely get the opportunity to do that as a coach. It wasn't the easiest transition. After the team went 19-14 and 14 his first season, the Terps were handed the toughest NCAA sanctions since it suspended SMU's football team in 1987 for payments made to players. It had to do with the rules that were broken under Wade and the lack of institutional control by the school's athletic director, Lou Perkins. Perkins had hired Williams away from Ohio State and told him that the program was only going to get a slap on the wrist. I left the University of Maryland as a basketball player to go coach JV basketball in Camden, New Jersey. So there was no way when I left Maryland that I'd ever have any thought of going back to be the head coach. And, you know, things just went the way they did. And all of a sudden, here I am coming back. And uh, it, it was probably the, the, when I got to Maryland and found out more about the situation, it was, it was probably the uh, toughest period of my coaching career from say 89 to 93. Maryland finished 16 and 12 during Williams' second season. They then had losing records the next two seasons as the sanctions kicked in. They were the only losing seasons under Williams. He knew he had to turn things around quickly. You know, people have short memories and they wouldn't remember the sanctions and things like that. And all of a sudden, if we did not start to win, um, you know, they'd be looking somewhere else uh, for a basketball coach. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. 
Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Bonnie Bernstein is a 1992 Maryland graduate and a former Terps gymnast. She enjoyed a unique perspective of Maryland's path to a national title. Gary Williams was probably one of the few people in the country who had the intestinal fortitude to endure the dark days of basketball and to bring Maryland's program out of that. And when I reflect back on that, particularly because I had the chance to cover every single one of the team's games en route to the 2002 championship as part of the CBS team doing the broadcast. I mean, it's, it's hard not to get emotional about it. The disjointed journey to college basketball utopia for Williams took a detour in Columbus, Ohio. In 1986, when Len Bias died, Gary Williams was preparing for his first season as coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Along with the rest of the nation, Williams had watched the devastating news of Bias' death. He had empathy for what was happening at his alma mater. I had a lot of friends in Maryland, and, uh, you know, the, just the tragedy for the area, uh, the, the way that so many kids looked up to Bias as their hero, um, hurt a lot of things in the community, but on campus, it also hurt the campus because there are people that really aren't into basketball that only, you know, pick up on, uh, you know, spectacular things. They, they felt, well, that this is what's wrong with <clears throat> college basketball in general and Maryland basketball particularly. And, you know, I thought it really hurt the basketball program at that time. The fallout from Wade's tenure was almost immediate for Williams. The first year I was there, they were taking people out of uh, practice and interviewing them concerning um, what was going on there at Maryland with the previous uh, administration. More intense pain for Williams in Maryland basketball came toward the end of his first year as coach. Maryland finished the regular season 18 and 12, heading into the ACC tournament. That included a late-season road win at North Carolina. Maryland had hoped for an NCAA bid, which would have been a remarkable achievement at the time. But a few days before the start of the ACC tournament, Maryland announced its NCAA sanctions related to the tenure of Bob Wade. Uh, it, it was devastating. It really was. That's the only word I can use. The sanctions included no postseason play for two years, three years probation, no television for a year, and a fine of close to a half a million dollars. You know, it made it very difficult uh, to recruit. And, you know, I think the faculty took that instead of fighting it, uh, they, they took it to mean, well, we deserve the penalty. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where basketball is after the next couple years. After receiving the news, Maryland lost its first round game in the ACC tournament to Duke. Maryland then endured two losing seasons among its next three. During that time, one player has been credited with keeping the program afloat. Walt Williams grew up in Prince George's County, some 10 miles from where Len Bias grew up. Not surprisingly, he was a big Len Bias fan. He chose to play for Maryland because Bias played there. I had the opportunity to see uh, Lynn Bias, man. I'm watching the game and I saw this dude raise up and shoot that jumper and it was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. I just found myself starting to 
you know, watch Maryland games more, look for the highlights to see Maryland. And all of a sudden, I wasn't watching Georgetown anymore. I was watching him, uh, Lynn Byers. When we would go out in the back of uh, uh, Benjamin started middle school and play pickup games, you know, right? You know how it is. Before the game start, you yell out somebody's name. Who you gonna pretend to be that day? Yeah. And I always, I always would yell out Len Bias, man. And uh, when it came time for me to make a decision, those type of things, uh, I remembered those things. Uh, I remembered the impact that he had on not only me but my community. And I wanted to have the, that same effect. I wanted, you know, the kids around the way to when they playing pickup games. I wanted them to pretend like they were me just like I did Lynn Bias, you know? And so I thought that the only way I could uh, achieve that is, is to follow in his footsteps and, and play at the University of Maryland. So Lynn Bias is a huge reason why I went to the University of Maryland. After the sanctions were announced, following his sophomore year in 1990, some thought he would transfer. Here's Gary Williams. So what happens when you get uh, sanctions against you by the NCAA, at least back then, you were allowed to transfer to any school you wanted to and play right away. You know, he had come off uh, a very good sophomore year, my, my first year there. And so he could go anywhere he wanted to to play. And he came in my office uh, one day right after the season was over, started talking and he really believed, you know, that he could be a great player, that he could be an NBA player. And and Walt put it on me. He said, well, well how, how are you going to make that happen if I stay and I said you're going to get a chance to play the point guard you're going to handle the ball you're going to be able to really look for trees and you know nobody's been a better diplomat for the school uh, than what Williams has over the years since he he's finished playing. Williams finished his four years at Maryland and surpassed the single season scoring record set by Bias. Perhaps more importantly he secured a legacy as one of the most revered players in Maryland basketball history. Coach Williams talked about how uh, he, he was around, uh, that I would be a focal point for the team and how he felt that he could help me get, um, be the best player that I could be. Um, he talked about possibly me playing at the next level. I wanted to be a, a good player at home. I wanted my family and friends to see me I wanted to show that um, I can have the same impact as Lynn Bias. I can aspire to, to be that level of player. Dan Bonner believes that the Maryland program benefited from the prolonged presence of Walt Williams. I can tell you exactly when it changed, and that is when Gary Williams and uh, Walt Williams showed up. Uh, there was a game that I did. Gary was the coach, and I believe it was his first year as the coach. It was like it had been before. And the fans were going crazy. The band was going on. And I turned to Mike Patrick. He and I were doing the game together. And I said, Maryland's back. Uh, and so that's, that's the time. It was they didn't get out from under until Gary Williams showed up. Walt Williams was the seventh overall pick in the NBA draft in 1992. He played 11 seasons in the league. The following season, with Walt Williams gone, Gary Williams was trying to forget about the previous two consecutive losing seasons. J.J. Bush returned as the head trainer for men's basketball at the start of the 1992-93 season. They soon developed a close relationship. Gary and I would talk, you know, a lot. And, you know, he just, some days he'd just come in there shaking his head. He says, I don't know where we're going to get this thing turned around. You know, this is such a mess. And 
you know, I come in here, I give up a good job at Ohio State, and, you know, we got everybody says everything will be fine, and then we get slapped. I mean, slapped over the head with a sledgehammer, uh, cut back our recruiting, couldn't have any games on TV, and so on and so on and so forth. So it really was tough on him. People were really suspicious uh, of the University of Maryland and the basketball programs. First of all, we you, you had to get people to believe that we were going to do it the right way. The, the, the problem was the school had tightened it up, and all of a sudden we had two great players uh, get turned down for admissions that both went to college and graduated in four years. It was very hard for me not to really question you know, you know what I was doing because uh, it didn't look good for a long time. ESPN analyst Jay Billis feels Maryland basketball improved gradually once Williams ramped up his recruiting. When Gary Williams came in, you had somebody who was clear-eyed and, and had a, a mission and understood the, the issue, and and it was a it was a wonderful um, wonderful job that he did of, of establishing Maryland as a national power uh, in a in a league full of entrenched power. Uh, so he, he put the program on a better footing than it had ever been on before. And it had been on a pretty darn good footing uh, in the in the 70s and 80s. Still, the ghost of bias lingered for years. Billis can recall how overly sensitive the administration at Maryland was when the bias name was mentioned during a broadcast some 15 years after Len had died. Maryland was not fond of a person like me mentioning Len Bias on the air. And I actually had some media relations people come to me and said, we'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't wouldn't talk about bias on the air. They didn't want it, they didn't want it discussed. It was still a, a an open wound uh, for for the university and the program. And it was um, even though it had been so many years, um, it, it was still something they felt like was uh, dragged people's minds to an area they didn't want it to be in. And and I, I, I said, no. I mean, I talked, I mentioned it or talked about bias or whatever, where it was appropriate. And uh, and so I'm not, I mean, I mean you, can, you can certainly ask me not to do it, but I'm, I'm doing, I'm gonna say what I wanna say. And if you got a problem with that, you can talk to my bosses. Um, that, that really pissed me off. Billis says the request was coming from a good place and that it showed why Bias didn't get inducted into Maryland's Athletic Hall of Fame until 2014. I, I think it went deeper that they were embarrassed about it. I think it, it went more to, um, you know, the fact that uh, they wanted to separate from it. There were so many people that were injured by it, and the trauma kept going. And, and it was like, a, uh, again, there were tentacles of it that grabbed everyone. And, uh, and took a lot of people down as a result is profoundly sad. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Maryland changed the course of its basketball history in its first game of the 1993-94 season. It was an overtime win over 15th-ranked Georgetown. Here comes Millen. He didn't get it off. Maryland pulls off the upset of 15th-ranked Georgetown. Yes. Oh, what a big win for Gary Williams. What a terrific win for him. The Terps are back. Maryland finished the season fifth in the ACC and advanced to the third round of the NCAA tournament. It was their first tournament appearance since 1988. Williams choked up at the podium, talking to reporters shortly after the game. It was announced that the Terps were returning to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, um, I'll never forget. We we went into the basketball lounge on Selection Sunday when we got selected uh, to go to the NCAA tournament. Once the uh, selection committee called our name, I left the room. I went back into the training room, which you go through the locker room. And Gary had, was standing out in the hall, and he had tears in his eyes. Because it's like, oh, my gosh. Thank God. We finally got through all this mess, and we're back where I wanted to be in the first place. And it was like a huge weight off his shoulders. And the rest is pretty much history. Maryland was back on the national basketball map, helped in large part by Joe Smith and Keith Booth. Smith played for just two years for Maryland. He was a first-team All-American in 1995 and was the NBA's top pick that year. Smith played 15 seasons in the NBA. Here's Gary Williams. We went to the Sweet 16 adding Joe Smith and uh, Keith Booth. So we started uh, two freshmen and three sophomores. And that, that group was the group that got us going, where we could be competitive on the national level. Keith Booth grew up in Baltimore, a big Len Bias fan. When he was 10 years old, he met Bias during a promotion at a sandwich shop in the city. When he met Bias, he told him that he would play hard and one day be a terrapin just like his idol. Booth used the death of Bias as a reminder to stay focused on basketball and his grades, and to avoid drug abuse. Keith Booth told me 
Once I understood how it happened that he died, it made me never want to touch a drug ever or abuse my body. It affected my life to help me become the person and man I am today. But like Bias, Booth became an All-American, and like Bias, his jersey hangs in the rafters at Xfinity Center, Maryland's home arena. Booth won an NBA championship with the Chicago Bulls in 1998. His memories of Bias playing with relentless passion and ferocity helped shape his career at Maryland. Booth told me it reinforced the impact his death has had on me and the player I remember I fell in love with growing up. From 1994 to 2000, Maryland advanced to the Sweet 16 four times. During that time, the Terps never missed the NCAA tournament. In 2001, Maryland advanced to its first Final Four, losing to Duke in a semifinal. On the way to its first national title in 2002, Maryland lost just one conference game. They finished the season 32-4. and I know where Gary started and how difficult it was for him to ultimately get that team to the promised land. That's Bonnie Bernstein, the former Maryland gymnast who competed through the lean years of Maryland athletics in the late 1980s and early 1990s. As a reporter for CBS Sports, she covered Maryland's run to the national title for the network. That included a halftime interview during the national championship game. I remember watching that post-game interview that Jim Nance and Billy Packer were doing with uh, Gary holding his grandson in his arm. Thank you, Greg, and I think, Gary, you'd agree there are moments that define your life, and this has got to be it for you. You're surrounded by your team. you got your grandson in your hands and your daughter at your side, and you've taken your alma mater to the national championship. How did you guys do it? It's a great thrill. We had to really grind it because... I was standing right there, and I just remember looking up at the ceiling and trying to hold back the tears because I was there during those dark days. I know what it was like for Gary to raise that team from the ashes and get to how many Sweet 16s only to not advance and to get to the semis the year before and for Duke to take us down again. And to see him there as a champion and then watching the kids get up on the podium and watch one shining moment and dang, it was so hard not to cry. Gary Williams came in the door just a few years after Len Bias's tragic death to try to pick the team up out of the hellhole that Bob Wade created and to take us to a national championship. It was just like such an incredible crowning achievement. Williams stayed on as Maryland's head coach through the 2011 season. It was a 22-year coaching career with Maryland basketball, a vision he had when he accepted the job in 1989. This to me is a career decision. In other words, uh, I don't anticipate having to go anywhere else to be a, a coach. And I, I think it's about time I establish some roots and this is certainly a great opportunity to do it. That was Williams at the press conference that introduced him. Williams was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 2014. It's the highest honor a coach can achieve. Williams is now Senior Managing Director for Alumni Relations and Athletic Development. Over the last decade, he has seen the university more willingly accept the complex legacy of bias. The acceptance included Len's induction into the Maryland Athletics Hall of Fame in 2014. But 
uh, I think for most Maryland people, uh, um, they they hope that would kind of put things to rest. You know, that, that, that was part of our legacy, you know, what, what happened with Len Bias. But we, we can't keep living uh, in a tragedy. We, we, we have to move on. Up next on Len Bias and Mixed Legacy, A Dark Cloud. Maryland is one of the most puzzling situations I've ever seen. One thing that really haunts Maryland to this day is there's no uh, institutional memory. And, and one of the, and without institutional memory, you can't understand what got you there and what you need to focus on to keep you to at the top. It's just unbelievable. I mean, how it affected it. It changed the entire university for, for mega years. And the just the attitude around the athletic department was uh, just not the same. I think back then it was, how, how could this have happened? But now it's like, we can all see how this could happen. This could have happened to any of us. What happened? Tragic. Let's make sure it never happens again. This podcast series is based on the book Born Ready, a mixed legacy of Len Bice, published by Go Grady Media. The series is produced by Go Grady Media in partnership with Octagon Entertainment. This segment was produced by Dave Ungrady and Don Marcus. It was written by Dave Ungrady and edited by Don Marcus. The narrator was Rich Daniel, with additional narration by Jamal Williams. Technical production was provided by Octagon Entertainment. Production assistance was produced by Kevin McNulty, Tino Quagliata, Lauren Roche, Georgia Brun, Casey Fair, Jamal Williams, Kelsey Mannix, and Enzo Alvarenga. Matt Dewhurst is providing the social media assistance. Special thanks to the University of Maryland and American University for providing insights. The Decision Education Foundation is a content and promotional partner of this podcast series. For more information, go to gogradymedia.com. This has been a production of Go Grady Media and the 8th Side Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. 
because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.